0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Day, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, uh, Badwater, how you doing?
1: Doing pretty well. Um, I'm less tired than the past couple of podcasts that, that we've done, uh, even though I've been up for a torturous amount of hours today. But no, it, it's all good
0: um hmm. uh, i i'm glad that you're awake i suppose we're recording this episode at nine at night um i'm two drinks in so this might be a little loose um sounds like you might have some stimulants in your body so uh we'll be on different ends of the spectrum um so, uh, I, I was a little surprised to learn that the uh, men's and women's golf team, uh, have started up. It seems like we just finished writing about both of them making it pretty deep into national championship territory, um, but they're off at invitationals again here in September, um, and you're going to be writing them up uh, uh, for Thursday. In fact, the, in, that article may already be up when this podcast, uh, you're able to listen to it, listener. Um, uh, how'd the golf teams do?
1: Well, the, um, the women competed in the Annika Intercollegiate, which is uh, an invitational that features the 12th the 12 of the best ranked teams from the previous season. So, um, so the Ducks the finished
0: game. number two last year, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. And won the Pac 12. Mm-hmm. And so it's their, uh, first go around with this, uh, invitational. And I'm sure they're very excited to participate in it.
0: And Stanford, uh, won the whole shebang last year, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, so there you go. The, yeah. the Pac-12 in golf. It's uh, it's harder to win the Pac-12 than it is to win the national championship.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the uh, the men um, competed in the the Maui Gym Invitational. There's 18 teams in that tournament, and um, and did pretty well. They they were up against um. Uh, eight teams of those uh, 18 teams were ranked teams. And, you yeah, know, so it's stiff competition there. And they did pretty well. Um, they started out uh, in second place in, in the first round and had a bit of a, a drop-off, but f- finished the tournament in seventh place, hmm. uh, which means that... They placed the highest out of teams not ranked in the top twenty-five. What's so they had par? a good weekend. Uh,
0: well, I'll look forward to reading your article tomorrow, um, uh, recapping uh, both of those invitationals. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. The golf is getting started this early, uh, and uh, you know it. It seems like you know Oregon's becoming sort of perennial contender um, in in both sides uh, of the golf game. So it's good to see. Yep uh the other thing you've been writing about a lot uh has been women's volleyball um the, the season is uh in full swing now um they've been uh ha- having a number of uh, uh, uh you know out of conference matchups uh they did um a, sw- a, a big 10 swing um with uh, uh penn state and minnesota they uh, are doing a um uh, 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 an East coast swing with uh South Carolina and miami coming up um, they played rice uh the, a couple other uh teams why don 't you catch us up uh, you know how's the women 's volleyball team doing uh, how do they look strengths and weaknesses What do you think about this team
1: well they're doing they're doing well this was uh, the last five games of the non conference portion was always going to be Uh, kind of a trial by fire for women's volleyball. Uh, All five of the teams, Rice, Minnesota, Penn State, South Carolina, and Miami, were in the NCAA tournament last year. And so with the exception of Rice, um, not only are they playing some of the uh, top-tier teams, but they're doing it on the road because they don't come back to Oregon uh, until they uh, meet up with Oregon State in Corvallis to open up the Pac-12 portion of the season. Um, the, their, their stiffest competition so far was number three, Minnesota.
0: In um, their place, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> in, in Minnesota. that's uh, they, they played really well, considering that's uh, – expected to be a team that's, you know, going to contend for the championship later on. And Oregon did
0: I think decently, they- right? Like it's, uh, it's best three out of five, you know, matches yes. to, and, uh, Oregon took one of them and, you know, pushed it to a fourth match and we're actually ahead for a good chunk of that fourth match. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, they just, uh, kind of let that one uh get away from them i want to say but not really minnesota is that good a team yeah they they can especially in their house you know they can come in and and take over and take care of the ducks um i'm sure the the ducks learn some things about themselves and uh, about uh what kind of uh Competition you run up against when you're up against a top 10 team. And, um, you know, it'll serve them well later in the season. I think that the next match with Penn State probably is one that they let get away from them. And, and they're they're probably not terribly happy about that. Uh, but Penn State it isn't necessarily an an easy out either and again you're on the road and um so yeah i'm sure yeah i mean that one went to the
0: you know that that one went to the fifth you know frame you know they 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 traded back and forth right i think it was penn state had the first one and then oregon and then penn state the third one and then oregon Mm -hmm. tied it right back up again and then the fifth one uh i I don't really understand what happened like what's your take
1: on, on what happened there well, um, I think that it it was um, some mistakes um, as well as some uh, attack errors mm. that really did them in because uh, Oregon dropped um, a few points at the beginning of the match and then about four points at, at the end of that set. And... It really struggled to to stay in the set, yeah, you know, because they they shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, some of uh, what I see in sets that they lose is that there's more in the way of uh, attack errors and uh, especially service errors. And uh, I don't know why it this is nothing has driven me more crazy over the years than a, a service error in volleyball. Hmm. It's a, it, it's a, an unforced error. And I mean, it's
0: the one thing that you do the same every single time. It's like free throws in basketball or, or field goal kicking in football.
1: Yep. Well um, yeah, exactly. You know, with basketball, it, you still have to get that ball in that little hoop and under pressure, uh i can see you know missing uh the occasional free throw or you know uh, getting away with a, a lower percentage but with volleyball you have that big square to aim for it. how hard can that be <laughs> yeah it it just it it drives me crazy although you, there's some of the same psychological things going on as well as ball placement that you know, it is going to be, uh, largely unknown to, uh, the casual fan. And, and I get it. I, I understand that's what you're trying to do, but still, why shoot yourself in the foot yeah, by not getting it in that big box over there?
0: Well, I mean, from what, uh, what I've seen of the team, and I tell me if you disagree, but like. They got the bodies, you know, they got the athletes, you, you know, that that's the case because they are hanging tough with ranked teams, you know, and and playing a real tough, you know, at a conference, they feel like they're up to it and you know, they're, they're not getting blown out. They're not getting destroyed. They're, they're not like it's, it ain't three and out. Right. And, you know, I'm sure the players and coach Ulmer would be the first to say that, like, you know, winning is our goal, not just moral victories, but like you, you know, you, you you can tell that they've got the the physicality to compete, you know. And between service errors, attack errors, some of the other things that I you know I've seen on the court when I watch games, it's like it's just sort of like it seems like it's a sort of mental toughness and experience, you know, it's just sort of like, you know, o- Oregon, uh, it's getting back onto the platform that other teams just sort of take for granted, you know, teams like Nebraska and, and, and you know, and Stanford and some other teams, you know, that have just, you know, who, who just ex- sort of expect to be there. Um, and, you know, Oregon sort of, still coming up you know it seems like that's it to me and it's sort of like okay so the you know the, they've lost to a couple of ranked teams they've still got a couple of you know opportunities to make some noise you know with the hurricane invitational coming up this weekend but like you know view this season as a uh, you know as a growing experience get a lot of you know in and from that you know perspective playing a super tough out of conference on the road you know where you're playing excellent teams in their house you know i uh, you know, I don't want to say like, I don't care about what the outcome is because I do, but like, it seems like, you know, the number one thing that they need is experience in big games. And that's exactly what they're getting.
1: Right. And they're, they're not getting what I would characterize as bad losses in Mm -hmm. the process. Like demoralizing
0: losses that the, you know, yeah yeah, it's not
1: like they were, they were swept by number three, Minnesota or, or anything like that. They're in the games and uh, yeah, there's there's a, a learning curve with uh, with any athletic team. And volleyball's not excluded from that. They well, have a they have a, a lot of uh, experience. That this isn't like the the soccer team that doesn't have any seniors on it. Yeah, uh, they have a, a fair amount of uh, seniors and juniors and some um very talented newcomers uh, relatively uh, new newcomers like Colby Neal who's a redshirt freshman and then uh, Mimi Collier who who's a, a freshman and yeah, you know, uh, she's got uh, she's going to have quite the ceiling because she she's already shown what what she can do uh, she just needs experience
0: well, it's always, you know, that's always the best mix, right? When you've got veterans and hot young talent, like, uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's like pretty tough out of conference play is going to set them up well for, you know, when, when they get back home and it's time for conference play, which, you know, really conference play sort of, you know, it sets up pretty nice, right. You know, like there's, you know, they, as you mentioned, they start out with Oregon state, you know, they, they don't want to leave the state for that. They get Stanford at home. That one's going to be tough, but they get to play it in, in math night. You know, they get Arizona state, at home, they get Arizona. At home, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a pretty appealing start to the conference season, and and like I feel like they probably have played a you know a tougher out of conference you know lineup uh, uh, than a lot of teams will. So you know, I'm really looking forward to them. You know, really making some noise uh, in, in conference play, and it sounds like they're setting up to do that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the secret weapons um, of this team is going to wind up being their setter. Uh, Hannah Pukas. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, she's in line for uh, Pac-12
1: honors. Yeah, and, um, you know, I've, I've gone to some of the volleyball games and watched her, and she does not make a whole lot of uh, setting mistakes. She's she's really good, and, you know, if you know nothing about the, the volleyball team, and want to keep an eye on the ball and where the action is, zero in on number nine.
0: All right, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, the football team's route of Eastern Washington. All right, so... Uh, Oregon had sort of a bounce back game, uh, uh, after getting drubbed by Georgia, they came back home to Autzen stadium and and returned the favor to the Eastern Washington Eagles. Um, the Eagles have been sort of a thorn in the side of a lot of PAC 12 teams. They've beaten a couple of them, uh, uh, Oregon state and Washington state, I believe have tasted the pain of, uh, you know, the, the, the Eagles from Cheney, Washington, uh, not so for Oregon, um, Oregon kind of ran them out of the building. Um, in fact, if it wasn't for a, uh, uh you know, there, uh, there was a special teams mistake on a kick return, um, you know, gave up a, a decent sized return and then added to it with a, a real dumb targeting penalty, um, uh, by a walk on actually a baseball player of all things. um, and uh, so that set them up with a short field, and they were able to punch it in. Uh, you know, if it weren't for that, this game would have been done by the first quarter. Um, you know, Oregon, you know, couldn't be stopped offensively, and, and Eastern Washington had you know a bunch of three and outs and interception. You know, in their first six possessions, uh, you know, couldn't be happier with the score, right?
1: Uh, no, no, and I, I was uh, at the game. It was a uh, a good atmosphere. And it was, it, it was nice to see a lot of players get involved in the game. Yeah, you know, regardless of yeah, you know, as as you said in your uh, analysis, or you know, regardless of the fact that garbage time came about pretty soon, you get to see a lot of um, walk-ons and. Uh, younger players and just get a chance to see what they could do and uh, I don't know if it's because uh, Oregon's offense is pretty good and probably better than the last few years, at least from a production standpoint, or the quality of Eastern Washington's uh, defense, but there's a lot of scoring there you gotta be happy with that
0: the thing that, uh, well, it, it, to your point about like, you know, getting to see all the walk-ons and the garbage time stuff, like, you know, that's kind of interesting for me because like I was, I, I've been traveling this whole time. In fact, I'm, I'm actually on the road right now, um, recording in a hotel room, um, the but i brought my podcasting equipment uh that's how uh, dedicated i am to, to your listening ple- pleasure everybody uh anyway the um yeah so like I, I was sort of i took in the game sort of cramped environment and, and, and had to get the 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 recording on my computer in this sort of suboptimal way I was using my laptop to make film clips which is not uh the, the ideal way to do it um but uh i still managed to crank out my articles anyway the uh the, the 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 thing that's interesting is you know, just because I, I'm I'm so pressed for time, uh, you know, I, 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 guess the point of this is that like, I didn't review the garbage time. I never really would have, but like, I didn't, I, you know, I, 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 I sort of like remember that game though it were a dream. Like I, I have pretty fuzzy memories of how garbage time went because I was sort of squinting at it at a bar. Uh, and then I didn't review it, you know, on, on my laptop when I was writing my article. So like it, you could tell me anything you wanted uh, happened during garbage time and i believe you um you know I, I saved that film i i'll i'll do a project later maybe during the bye week or maybe during the off season in which i you know tear into the garbage time stuff and, and look at the backups because that's you know useful um you know for for projecting forward for how the 2023 team is going to be um sure. but like i don't know man anything stand out to you from garbage time you're going to be breaking news to me
1: <laughs> well um uh First off, what's your delineation of garbage time? Was it is it uh, pretty much garbage time after I, we were up four touchdowns? Uh,
0: Thirty, yeah, thirty-five to seven is is yeah. where I delineated it. It, it was still it, it, after that point. Oregon um, started to really put in the backups, and Eastern Washington sort of changed up there. You know they they went to a fairly pass heavy. You know they're they're already fairly pass heavy, but they went to they went from about. Um, two thirds passing to about three quarters passing, um, you know, they're sort of like really trying to get themselves back into the game. And then in the second half, they just sort of went into like, you know, I I don't want to say nobody's trying, but like everybody went into, um, injury prevention mode. That's the, that's definitely the thing that I can pick up from, um, uh you know just reviewing the stats alone like there are certain play calls that you make that are like no one's like you're not hanging receivers out to dry for example um you, you know you're not making risky passes that might get somebody hurt um you're not setting up in the pocket for a long time and potentially inviting a, a sack you know like uh so yeah there there's some there are some noticeable gameplay changes that happen definitely in the second half
1: That was kind of um I was surprised if not surprised that Nick started the second half. Um, I was kind of surprised because uh, I think there would have been some value in getting Thompson out there. But at the same time, you know, Nicks is going to need some playing time because I, I expect that he's going to be in just about uh, all game. For this coming weekend's matchup,
0: um, yeah, I think it seems pretty clear that the staff is like declaring that like Nick's is their dude. They're not really listening to any of this like sub out Nick stuff, um, and that uh, and that you know they're they're not going to put in the backups um, until you know uh, you know uh, until it's just total mop up duty, you know, because they what they. I think what they want is they want Knicks to get as much experience with the system as is practical, um, you know, and they figure that's valuable going forward and that they're not in quarterback tryout mode. I think that's sort of like, that's the declaration that I get, um, you know, from this, that they like, they, they had no doubts about Nix despite how the, how the opener against Georgia, you know, went and, and that they, they're, they're maximizing his odds for success going forward uh, is sort of the, it looks like that's what the game plan is to me. Do you think that makes sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. In spite of the fan, uh, in spite of the fans' reaction during the game, because uh, uh, the cheering when Ty Thompson went out for quarterback was, you know, as if we had just scored a touchdown. Mm. <laughs> there was that kind of cheering going on in, in the stands, and um, and you know. Uh, I'll defer to you for elaboration, uh, but it didn't look like Thompson uh, made a whole lot uh, in the way of mistakes. Yeah, he did everything that yeah. was expected of him. Well, and... I mean, that, that's
0: what it says on paper, right? <laughs> like I said, I was watching the game like it was a dream, and I haven't really watched the film. So, um, yeah, like I, I think that, you, you know, I I I mean, honestly, I, I'm not on the like Knicks is going to lead Oregon to a national championship train, or at least not yet, anyway. Like, but, uh, you know, I will say from watching the film on the guy that like he's very accurate passer. Um, you know, e- even with what Georgia was throwing at him, like he wasn't missing passes like he made two dumb mistakes in throwing those interceptions but like mm-hmm. you know how, how much like wailing and gnashing of the teeth was there last year when anthony brown like you know I, I mean they were just inaccurate passes you know or i mean not all the time uh or anything but like how many passes that guy missed that were just like that that's not where the ball should be placed dude um and then and like it seems like you know there are a lot of fans who are calling for his head because like that's what fans do right you know the backup quarterback is the most popular dude on the team um where it's just like have you seen a pass thrown in the last two games in which nicks you're just like that's not where that ball is supposed to be bo can you think of a single one
1: yeah and and it would be the eastern march game he threw a, an ill advised pass uh out to the left side to the perimeter that would have been an interception if the um if the organ receiver hadn't knocked it down
0: hmm. did did that um, happen after it was 35 to 7
1: cuz i was, i mean i don't, it don't remember it, it in it, film study right it it, it might have been
0: all right uh, and, and then hmm. there
1: was, a, there was an, another pass that, on TV uh, again to the left side, um, looked like it was a, an ill-advised pass. But from my angle, you know, I had uh, a clear angle from uh, section 15. There was a, a lot more room than what would have appeared on film. Yeah, I think
0: know, I know that the cast gosh. that you're talking about. I, I and it it happened during meaningful play, and I, you know, it. I had to rewind and rewatch that a bunch of times because it, it first the where the where the ball lands looks like that was a dumb throw, but like when I watched it over and over again, I was like, no, actually, that's properly placed, and the receiver just didn't get his hands on it right. Um, mm-hmm. like yeah, uh, you know. Anyway, like you know. It, it, the the other interesting thing is just, you know, there ha- he hasn't really been trying the deep ball that much. I sort of think that this is strategic. Like I, I know the most like, uh, you know, against Georgia, Georgia just wasn't letting them. They were playing back. They were playing, you know, two high safeties. You know, they were, you know, saying, I want you to march down the field and we have the athletes to sort of dictate what you are able to do and what you were not able to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and so Oregon was, you know, taking the short passes, you know, taken with the defense gave him. And then Eastern Washington basically played a similar defensive game plan. Um, there were probably, you know, plays where they could have, you know, really taken the top off, but they just decided like, you know what? We haven't put that on film yet because of, you know, we were, when we were playing Georgia, there's no, we don't need to put that on film. You know, against Eastern Washington to run them out of the building, which obviously they did. Um, you know, let's keep that powder dry for BYU. Um, I, you know, I know that's sort of a fan theory that every fan comes up with the like, oh, they were just playing vanilla, you know, excuse, but like, I don't know, man, I, I, I kind of think that that one's true in this circumstance. Like, I really, really doubt that Bro Nix doesn't know how to hit those passes. Like he's been doing it for three years at Auburn. Uh, and I really, really right. doubt yeah, that Oregon can't catch them. We watched him in the Alamo Bowl.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's like you, you said, you, um, Oregon by and large is Alphazard out-athleting Eastern Orson. So you can make the vanilla stuff uh, work and keep cards close to the chest because you got the better athletes on the field.
0: Yeah, that was interesting, too. I I made special you know no note of plays that i thought like ooh, you know the defense if that was a power five athlete he would have made that tackle um and like i don't know it kind of it when i was watching the game life it felt like there were a million of those and then when i went back and actually did my film study during meaningful play i really only found six of them um and and so like in my article, you know, I said like, okay, let's as a thought exercise flip all six of those successful plays where Oregon just out athleted, you know, what what might have otherwise been a defensive win um, flip those to the fail column, Oregon would still be like 56% successful, which is pretty good. I mean, it's not 60% with championship caliber, but like, it would still be pretty good. And then on top of that, like you do get to out athletes, some power five competition, some of the time. And in fact, given that Oregon is a more talented team than every team on their schedule, except for Georgia that, you know, they probably will, you know, like I, you know, I would ex- fully expect Oregon, you know, a couple of times a game, three, maybe four times a game To like to to out athlete Cal, you know, and and and, you know so forth and so on, you know, throughout the Pac-12. Um, like why not, man? I mean, there's really when you start looking at some of these Pac-12 teams, like there's not a lot of difference between the roster strength um, between the low end of the Pac-12 and Eastern Washington.
1: Sad to say. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're just uh, fortunate that. Uh, both Cristobal and Landing have recruited as well as they have, and so we've got depth that we've never had before, and yeah. sometimes that depth uh, translate into out-athleting. out-athleting yeah uh
0: it's nice to see and i I also sort of thought that the game plan was appropriate in in terms of like we're going to use this as an opportunity to practice our tackling you know like you know so on defense you know sort of same deal like uh you know i i noticed eastern washington shooting themselves in the foot a couple of times but you know number one it wasn't so often that like You know, if we flipped all of those to wins for the offense, that it would would kill Oregon's you know defensive efficiency. Their defensive efficiency would still have been fine. And second of all, like dude, Pac-12 teams shoot themselves in the foot all the time too. You know, like the idea that Cal is never dropping a pass or or, you know uh, or 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 Colorado's never going to miss a block. Like you know, I'm sorry, man, I've been watching those teams for too long. Uh, They're they're definitely going to do that. So like you know um and the other thing that should probably be said you know for anybody who's like "Ooh, beaten eastern washington that team always has a scary offense weren't they like the top offense in the fcs last year the answer is yes they were the top offense in the fcs last year um but it really only came down to one thing which is that they had a really spectacular passing game and like they lost all the pieces to it um that you know their quarterback their you know uh top couple of receivers um a couple of essential linemen um and uh uh, they're a really good running back who, you know, having good running back helps you in the passing game for, for reasons I'm sure I don't need to detail for our astute listeners. Uh y- you know, they, they sort of lost all those pieces, and frankly, I don't think that Eastern Washington is going to have the top offense this year. I, I think they're gonna wind up being maybe a top twenty uh, offense in the FCS, but but not like the heights of, of certain years. Um and, and so well, like,
1: you, you, you certainly detailed all uh all of the um, players that weren't going to be around this year uh, previously. So, yeah, you know, it's it shouldn't be a surprise that, that there wasn't a particularly explosive offense on the field there in Austin.
0: Yeah, so like, I mean, that's sort of the thing is that like, there's still, there's definitely still a mystery element to Oregon, and in, in fact, I think it's one of the bigger mystery teams in the uh, in the entire country, simply because like the the gap between the two teams that they have played, like it's, it's hard to find a bigger gap. In fact, I don't think there is a team in all of college football or all of FBS football that's played in their two games that they've played a bigger gap than, than, than the two teams that Oregon did. Right. You go from, you know, Georgia, number one team in the country, defending national champions, five stars up and down the roster, possibly even better than last year's team. I mean, this might be the best team of all time. This might this team might you know edge out miami 2001 for the best college football team of all time is entirely possible um so so and on top of that you know with with the like the you know they know all of dan lanning's passwords you know like the the, you know that was something that you know i definitely found in film study was like they were doing stuff that was like you know they were succeeding they, they were successful because they knew exactly what the defensive call would be, and it's like, well, it's kind of cheating, guys, you know? Um, so anyway, you, you take like the world's most talented team, and you give them cheat codes, like, Jesus, the fact that it was only a 46 point loss is actually kind of impressive in that context, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, My t- my tongue is only partly in my cheek for that. There are some silver linings to that game, you know, the Oregon was actually moving the ball decently. Um, you know, there's a couple other things I, I put in my article. And then you go to you know, a, a drubbing of an FCS team, which like, you know, like I said, uh, you know, their strongest point was their passing offense last year. And I, I think that's probably fallen off this year. I'm not saying that Eastern Washington's the worst FCS team in the country. They'll, they'll probably be a ranked team at the end of the year um, within the FCS rankings, but like, still it's, an, it, you know, it's an FCS team and not even the scary version of that FCS team. Like, like, wow, man, like what a, what a, what a gap, you know, like, and, and, to get blown out by one team and turn around and blow out the the next team. Like, you know, which one of those two Oregons is the real one? Um,
1: yeah, no, probably neither. And yeah, that's yeah, exactly. it, like you said, that's what makes it such a mystery.
0: But, you know, it's uh, obviously, it's got to be somewhere in between, but like, but the somewhere in between the team that played Georgia and and the team that played Eastern Washington is like the widest conceivable field imaginable. You know, like we're really you know they, they got to you know I guess we'll find out when they when they play BYU. Yeah,
1: yeah. If if there's a team that's the that a middle target to find out what Oregon's about, it it's the team we're seeing on Saturday.
0: Well, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll talk some more about that game against BYU. So I have wrapped up my, um, film study on, uh, on BYU. I, I watched both their, uh, game against the USF, which is not a very good team. They, they blew them out. Um, and then, uh, Baylor, which went to, you know, double OT. <laughs> so, you know, pretty wide disparity there. um, uh, I also reviewed all seven games that BYU played against, um, power five opponents last year, which was, uh, five pack 12 teams. They won all of those, um, Virginia, which is a really interesting game was a shootout of all things. Um, and then they played Baylor at their place last year. Uh, Baylor beat them, I- including, um, and one of the dudes who was on staff at that time, uh, was Matt Powellage who's now Oregon's co DC. um, so, uh, the, uh, I've done, I've watched as much film on BYU as I'm going to watch. Um, and, uh, you know, I've charted them out and I've come up with the numbers. And, you know, you said it in our last segment. They're sort of a middle of the road team, you know, that you can properly calibrate against. They are currently ranked a top 10 team. They probably shouldn't be. Um, you know, uh, the, the, that that game against Baylor was sort of eye-opening um, in a lot of ways. Um, now, they were out, probably their best offensive tool, you know, Puka Nakua, and probably their second best, you know, receiver as well, uh, uh, um, uh, one of the Romneys. There's two brothers, Gunner and Baylor, and I forget which one is the quarterback who left and, and which one is the, uh, is the receiver who's injured, but one of those Romneys uh, is out. Um, anyway, uh, the... The uh, uh, boy, you know, that 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 team, you know, they they won their game by the skin of their teeth. Did you watch that game at all?
1: No, I didn't get it a, a chance to. I was keeping track of uh, all the other crazy games that were going on last weekend, uh, it, like it was the, a, like Washington State?
0: Yeah, man, I, that was another game. I, I well, that's Oregon's that. next game, man. Like, I that's that's on the <laughs> queue for my film, you know. That I, I i gotta you know I, I watched wazoo's game against idaho um but i haven't uh i watched live the uh that that you know wazoo wisconsin game that's another one that's nutty you know like according to the box score wisconsin should have won that game by like two three scores but there was like i don't know there's a bunch of mistakes there's a bunch of coaching problems um yeah i don't know you know th- th- that's a weird game um we'll, we'll talk about it a little more yeah. later you know we're talking about wazoo sure. but like you know, uh, yay for the Pac-12 for picking up an upset they probably shouldn't have. I guess sort of my my take on that one. Law
1: love, love averages. Sometimes it comes around.
0: Yeah, right. Um, the BYU game, the uh, BYU-Baylor game is nuts. I mean, three missed field goals at the end of the game, you know, any one of which I think would have ended the game. Um, it's just, you know, it's nutty. Oh. The, um, the, the thing about um, BYU – it's not like their efficiency numbers both this year and last year against power five opponents are not good. Like, um, their passing efficiency is underwater. Um, their rushing efficiency last year was, was above water. It wasn't championship caliber, but it was decent. Um, but they lost their running back Tyler Algier, and he was apparently super necessary for it because their numbers have really fallen off a cliff. Um, you know, in 2022, um, and, and, uh, and it's really just because, you know, what I can say from watching a film on them is just like, you know, Algier was making something out of nothing. And as much as I like the replacement backs, um, Katoa and, uh, Chris Brooks of all people, he transferred in from Cal and watching that guy for like three years. Um, I like those backs a lot, but they just don't have like the magic powers that Algier did to like make something out of nothing. And just the like, run blocking stinks, you know, it's like, it's kind of crazy. Cause I think BYU has got like a reputation, um, that you know in the popular fan imagination of like what kind of team you know that is and one of them one of those places probably is like oh that's a hard-nosed gritty blue collar football team with a uh, guy oh, can't even continue this parody um but like <laughs> oh surely their run blocking has to be fantastic with their great offensive linemen. it's sort of like it was kind of crazy to watch them. It was like no one ever taught them to zone block properly like the proper way to zone like if, you know Oregon fans have been watching this for 20 years. You have a couple of combo blocks and then one dude on the combo block peels off and gets up to the second layer to block the linebacker to open up the hole for the running back to run through. And it's like those guys are doing an okay job of the first step where they have two linemen blocking one, you know, defensive player. I I hope that they would do, a, you know, a good job when it's two on one, but then they like totally forget the second step. They're just like, they just keep combo blocking until the end of the play. And it's like, and then the linebacker just walks down and tackles the run back and it's like what did you guys think was going to happen like it's so bad and like i'm not kidding about their their rushing efficiency this year is 35 percent it's that is a terrible number um wow. it's like yeah they're they're just they're really bad at running the ball um which means like even though like jaron hall their quarterback has some like magic in him although he's interestingly kind of a conservative quarterback like he really really takes care of the ball really well but it's sort of it also means he's a really risk averse quarterback which you know but he finds some stuff he keeps plays alive he 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 can keep running around until one of his dudes breaks open and then he can make that pass you know he's, he's actually got a very keen sense for when he's got an open receiver um and uh so like he, he, there's a scenario in which like hall puts together some stuff and they grab a lead but they can't like sit on that lead right like that's why baylor wound up coming back on him and tying the game back up it's just like they can't sit on the lead with their run game because the run game stinks um So like, if Oregon is the team that we would like to believe that Oregon is, um, you know, they've got some real opportunities to, to, especially given the way that the mint front is constructed to like, you know, okay, we'll shut down the, the run game with minimal effort and all we have to do, you know, is cover, um, and uh, so I'm, I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, okay, is Oregon that team, you know, that we hope they are, because like the game plan when they're on defense is really clear what they ought to be doing.
1: Yeah, how worried should should we be if uh, Hall plays completely out of his mind? Well. Even if he, I
0: guess that's where I'm saying is that like, I, there's a possibility that that happens. Um, and like, let's say that Nakua comes back and they can really take the top off, you know, cause he's a, he's really done, you know, he can really, you know, get deep fast. Um, like the, it's still the scenario that like, even if they jump out and they grab, like, you know, let's say they, they, they quickly jump like a 10, get a 10 to zero lead. Like they're not going to be able to shut the game down and, and milk it down and try to win the game, like 17 to, 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 to 10 or something like that. Like they just can't, the running game is, does not give them that opportunity. They have to they have to max out they, they it's like you know every drive they've got to go you know to the wall in terms of their passing game and just try to keep, like the only way they're going to win games is boat racing you because their run game is that bad And like, I, I guess there's a possibility that it happens, you know, but like, but that's it. They've, they've, they've only got one strategy to win. Um, That's what happens when you don't have a run game. Like, I know that everybody in the universe has decided that like running the ball is always a mistake and the opportunity cost versus getting huge yards by passing is just not worth it. But like, I, you know, I am here to tell you teams that cannot sit on a lead by running the ball are never reliable teams, you know, to win games for that reason. Like, you know, you, you have to win every game 60 to something if you want to win, like it's just, it's not sustainable if you don't have a one game.
1: Yeah. it's certainly understandable why uh, Oregon's still running by committee. Yeah. They're sure they're um, they're figuring out who they have for uh, runners (laughs) <laughs> even though they're all kind of built the same they, well,
0: they'll, do, they'll do some different things i, I don't they, really have an objection different. to it I'm, I'm fine with it you know run four backs you know i don't care like this idea that like oh you got to figure out who your best you know two or three are and only play them so that they get into a lather or whatever that just sounds like so much like fan nonsense to me like i can't yeah. i've never been able to detect any statistically significant correlation between you know running back room size and effectiveness if you've got four good backs you got four good backs you know what are you complaining yeah, about and, every and other fact, position yeah. on the field fans love raving about depth right they love raving about oh the guy's fresh they got fresh legs right like hockey line substitutions right. they love that stuff but somehow when it comes to running backs they are like no you need to focus down to just like two backs man
1: i don't get it yeah. like,
0: what a weird thing to complain about
1: right yeah Well, um, if it comes down to uh, ball control, yeah, we've got a running back room and we'll have fresh legs. And, you know, uh, plus, like, if you only have like
0: two running backs that you really like, what happens when one of those guys gets injured? You know, like, Oregon, you know, what happened, you know, when Oregon only had Travis Dye and CJ Verdell and CJ Verdell kept getting hurt? So Travis Dye gets a million carries every game. Does anybody think that's a great idea? Like, you know uh, it's just a what a stupid thing for I, i'm sorry i'm getting flack like uh from people like, whoa, whoa, yeah it's just like hey hey could you do a bunch of film study but then come up with like really hysterical takes to confirm my emotional you know uh, knee-jerk reactions like no that's not my job like,
1: anyway. yeah um uh, ironically uh, uh usc the the last game uh you know uh, die had the most number of carries yeah well experience. i mean so, so they're doing sure. the same thing with him
0: <laughs> uh yeah he, he's a good pack i like him um yeah <laughs> the other thing um that's interesting about watching byu's defense that's really their rush defense is exactly the same as it was last year um or at least in terms of efficiency like almost exactly the same number um uh they're uh they're a little better at containing explosive runs um which is interesting although i sort of think the fact well, I don't know. I'll talk about more about that in my article, but like, I, I that might be Raj, might not be, but definitely like the efficiency. It's like the exact same rushing defense because it's the exact same defense. They they played thirty guys on defense last year and brought back twenty seven of them, um, which like both of those are crazy numbers. Like playing thirty <laughs> sure. guys on defense is a crazy, nu- and I mean like significant reps. I don't mean like got in there had a cup of coffee for one play, or I guess it's BYU. They probably didn't have any coffee, but like. Um, yeah. I mean like significant reps. I mean like they're not just a a first string, a second string, and the third string is for garbage time. They're down to playing like fourth stringers during meaningful reps. It's a lot. Um, And then they brought all of them back with the exception of three guys. And those three guys, you know, it's one defensive lineman, one linebacker, and one DB. And none of them I would describe as starters. They're like mid you know, midpoint in the rotation. Um, So it's just like bring back a ton of production. So like, of course their defenses and it's like, if they had a scheme change or coaching changes or anything like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's exactly the same defense. There's probably some amount of incremental improvement because there always is, but like, you know,
1: I guess the the question is uh, how many of them are 26 year olds?
0: There's A couple. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing that's really nuts. Their last year, and again the the film study that it was just their power five opponents um and, and there but there were seven of them which is like definitely enough to get a a, a good sample um their past defense in 2021 against power five uh, opponents was in all three figures that i collect perfectly average like crazily perfectly average their uh their adjusted yards per attempt number was 7.7 allowed was 7.7, which is perfectly average. I'm perfectly average is 7.5. So 7.7 is basically exactly perfectly average Their 50 explosiveness rate allowed, you know, the number of plays passing plays in which their opponent gained 15 plus yards uh, was 16.18, which is again, perfectly average. Um, And then, their, uh, their, you know, per play success rate, you know, stopping the opponent from gaining sufficient yards to, to stay ahead of the sticks, given the down and distance was I'm not kidding about this exactly 50%. It was exactly as many wins as it was losses. Like there has never been a more perfectly average power five pass defense than BYUs in twenty in 2021, at least against their power five opponents. So like, okay. Um, what a perfect test for Oregon to go up against, right? Like, you know, when you said BYU is a middle of the road team, I was just like, boy, you don't know how right you are, man. (laughs) Um, but so here's the crazy thing. And what makes BYU something of a mystery team too, although I think Oregon is still a, a bigger mystery, um, is that in 2022, again, just two games. Um, and one of them was, you know, abbreviated pretty quick by going into garbage time. Uh, early, um, they jump up to seventy-one percent. Uh, you know, effectiveness uh, uh, against the pass. They they lower their opponents to only four point two yards per attempt. It's only seven percent explosive. All of those are like super awesome numbers. Um, those are like beyond championship caliber numbers. Yeah, um,
1: pinball, pinball numbers. Uh,
0: you know, just <laughs> super effective against the pass, right? Except, I kind of think it is i i definitely believe at least some of that is a mirage um and possibly up to all of it is a mirage um because like the two passing offenses they just played south florida and baylor are just trash uh it's just trash i can't overstate enough how bad their passing attacks are like baylor trained both of their quarterbacks jerry behan left baylor last year and went to usf he's still not a good quarterback and they don't have any skill talent. Baylor, uh, apparently the guy who pushed it, pushed him out shape. I don't know how, cause he's not any better. Um, and they lost all their skill talent. Like they just don't have any good receivers. Um, and, uh, it, and so I think most, I think at least a good chunk of BYUs on paper improvement in their pass defense is just, they played two bad passing attacks. um, And, uh, but it's a mystery. Like I would expect them to, you know, like I said, there's some incremental improvement that you expect from every team that's returning a ton of production. So, I mean, I think they've probably gotten better a little, but maybe they've gotten better more than that. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Like, you know, it it, it could be, you know, like I said, they were 50% last year. They're 71% this year. Their true number could be anywhere in between you know, those two numbers, I, I, I really have a hard time telling, um, from the film. Um, I suspect it's probably closer to 50% than it is 71%. Um, but I mean that, you know, 51% is, is a pretty mediocre number. 57% is a pretty good number. It doesn't take much to go from 51 to 57. Like it's just a couple of plays more consistent. Um, so that's, you know, to me, that's like the big, Big fat question mark is like how good is BYU's pass defense? I, I have a pretty good handle on every other aspect of their play, but like you asked for it, man. Like you you asked for you know a measuring stick for you know Oregon's performance and the thing that everybody wants to know, like is Bo Nick's going to be better at Oregon than he was at Auburn? And like, and the problem is that the measuring stick, the BYU provides is kind of fuzzy right now. Like we're probably not going to know how good that passing defense is until later in the year. And then we'll have to like retroactively look back to see how Nick's performed against it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Yeah. And I'm also, um, looking for a continued improvement from the defense. Cause, uh, I would expect that to the extent that they can, at least on paper, um, BYU is going to try to emulate some of the successes that Georgia had with passing. Yeah. Can, can they do that? Uh, I don't know. And, uh, how much the, the ducks have prepared for that and, uh, can overcome that kind of attack. You know, it's also kind of a, a question mark in my mind. Well, I, I mean, we're, Oregon,
0: Oregon's probably going to see that game plan for most of the, at least the first half of the year. Um, yeah. you know, teams are teams are going to try to replicate what Georgia did to Oregon you know for just like remember in 2019 when USC which was not a great team in 2019 beat Utah and then everybody who played Utah tried to replicate the USC game plan against them and then they found out they didn't have a bunch of NFL wide receivers and they couldn't do it um <laughs> yeah. i sort of feel like that's you know Oregon's probably got some of that in their future like everybody's going to try to replicate Georgia and they're going to find out that they don't have a bunch of five stars on their team um yeah,
1: yeah they're not Georgia
0: but oh, like, Georgia, Georgia. That, that's just sort of like a, a linear, you know, Oregon needs to get better at tackling, like, you know, period, full stop. And, and like, you know, it doesn't sort it kind of doesn't matter who you're playing that, you know, tackling is tackling is tackling. They just need to, you know, very consistently do it. Um, in terms of like game planning, though, I don't know, like there's the the thing is that, you know, BYU's rush defense is just not particularly good you know like you know i was just i know i was just ranting about how their rush offense is really bad at 35% their rush defense is much better it was 41% 41 and a half% last year it's 42% this year and like you know that's that's bad man like 50% is average 40% is like the bottom end of the bell curve it's like you know one standard deviation down um it, it's you know, and and Oregon probably has a pretty good rushing attack, and you know, here's the other thing, it th- that I was sort of like, uh, you know, I, I I should make fans aware of, I sort of caution them, is that like, okay, BYU's rush defense is is bad. Their pass defense may or may not be real good. Um, Oregon likes to run the ball, because uh, why wouldn't you? this game may be kind of frustrating to Oregon fans because it may be the best way to win it is just run. It is just to, to run a lot. Um,
1: do, just do the crystal ball smash mouth. <laughs> right. I know. Like <laughs> what,
0: all the Oregon, the Oregon fans who are like, yeah, I know the, the, <laughs> you know, precisely, you know, but like just looking at Baylor or excuse me, BYU's defensive numbers against Baylor. It's like, what they ought to do like or at least like okay throw the ball around the yard a bit you know may, maybe you know build up a 10 point lead or so and then like you know shut the game down which like i i could feel every oregon fan you know shrivel up or or, or 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 grab their mouse to to pen me a nasty gram but like it may be the most effective strategy to win this game um like and you may wind up seeing it on
1: saturday <laughs> horror of horrors! Yeah, it's not even october 31st yet mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean certainly byu is a more middle of the road team be- between you know georgia and eastern washington um you know kind of like what we were talking about with volleyball like this is a you know boy what a gamut to have run to set them up for conference play in which all of their goals are still ahead of them um and uh you know it starts on saturday you know the like the the you know they they faced mama bear and papa bear uh you 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 may supply which you believe is mama and papa between georgia and eastern um <laughs> and and now it's time for for baby bear which is byu um you know the the, the porridge is just right it, it is measuring stick for oregon um uh, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to, believe. well, I guess I'll put it, you know, it, it's a, it's a measuring stick game because if Oregon is the team that we would like it to, to be, if like the narrative about boy, they just ran into a buzzsaw with Georgia and this is actually, you know, a pretty great team. It may not be like a number one or number two team, but like, it's still, you know, potentially, a, you know, a top 15 type of team. Um, like the, if it's that version of, you know, of Oregon is true. And if that, you know, version of events is an accurate one that Oregon ought to beat BYU fairly comfortably. Um, if on the other hand, you know, this is a team that's going to be like the next USC, you know, under Clay Helton, that squanders a bunch of talent and can't beat less talented teams. Um, then like it could get pretty ugly, you know, against BYU, BYU definitely knows how to make games, you know, ugly. Um, They certainly know how to beat Pac-12 teams, (laughs) so
1: yeah, yeah. And if they struggle against BYU, uh, Pullman's right around the corner. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that, that'd, that'd be the other nice thing, but getting a win is like build some confidence going into to Pullman, which is like kind of freakily, you know, a scary place to play. You know, I, we did this quiz a little while ago, like, you know, Austin is the scariest place to play in the Pac-12. They're 28-2 over the last, you know, five years. Utah, you know, second place and not too far behind. And then like third place or, you know, pretty close, uh, anyway, is is Wazoo. And, and they're doing it with way less talent, you know. Um, like, yeah, Pullman, man. Like, yee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, hey, Pullman just went into Camp Randall and pulled out a win. You know, like I said, I kind of think it was a fluky win. But, like, hey, man, you know, fluky wins are kind of, you know, Wazoo's stock and trade, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, when they're not cooking it.
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so having some confidence going to that game would be pretty nice. Um, all right. I think it's going to do it for us this week. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Badwater?
1: Nope. I, I'm not feeling uh, like Badwater bad the Sage today. So, uh, just go ducks. Let's get it done against the first of the two Cougars.
0: Uh, all right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. You catch you on Flip Side.